Welcome to the Elk Shake Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. I hope you're doing awesome. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. Uh, I think that 2020 is shaping up to be the best year ever. I hope you're working towards your goals every day, doing the small little things that might seem insignificant, but they actually are moving the needle in the right amount to where you're going to see massive progress come September. This podcast is designed to make you amplify your game, elevate, and be stoked to work hard and outwork the competition. Today, we're bringing on Nick Fisher from AAE. That's Arizona Archery Enterprises. They are out of uh, Arizona, like the Prescott Valley area. This is a family-owned business, so uh, they have a rich deep history and vein making. They do a lot more than just veins, but we're bringing on Nick today to get nerdy about a few things. We're going to geek out on long range rifles and kind of talk about my personal journey and setup and see what his advice is there. Obviously, we're going to talk veins. We're going to talk vein clearance, what veins are going to support which broadheads. We talk about broadheads. We talk about just technical archery and then we learn his fitness journey which is actually super inspirational nick's a very humble dude but he's a very accomplished target archer as well as bow hunter family man he's a husband and a father he's super blue collar he's the perfect guest for the oak shape podcast a couple things to tell you about that we're stoked on if you didn't catch our premiere of the dakotas film go to our youtube channel definitely subscribe because we are going from junior varsity to varsity i brought in my buddy tim connor he does a lot of media and he's very talented behind the lens and in the editing room and he's helping me with my channel now so he's taking some of the workload off and making me put out more quality on the videos as well as helping me be consistent there we put together the dakotas film from our hunt this last november honey mule deer in the rut it's about a 30 minute video please go check it out drop a comment let us know what you think how we can do better and also be on the lookout for my bow build my solo bow build video series is coming out where i actually try to build my first bow all by myself and i do try hard check that out i think you're going to learn like i'm learning along my journey and i just want to share it with you guys as i'm trying to become more proficient with just working on my own stuff obviously i'm not trying to become a pro shop but i just want to be able to do the simple things and be able to look at a bow and really know how it works and how i can make it stay in tune when i'm out hunting something were to go wrong it's cool. So we're putting more energy into YouTube. Plans not to be a YouTuber by any stretch of the means, but I really want to grow that channel just because I think what we're doing is fun and exciting and it's very inspiring and I think it's positive and I think we need more of that on YouTube. So that's what we're working on there. As far as discounts go, we have an exclusive offer from Wilderness Athlete. That was last week's episode. Uh, so if you guys are interested in getting 30% off your next Wilderness Athlete purchase, Go ahead and use the discount code ELKSHAPE30, and that'll save you 30% on whatever supplies you need there. If you are interested in ELKSHAPE Camp, we have the Oregon one that's about a week left. 
if uh, anybody listening here is in Oregon, hey, we have a couple spots left for that camp. I'd like to see a few more athletes roll in. So if you've been on the fence, pull the trigger. I promise we'll knock your socks off. From there, we head to Texas. That's Rowan Oak. We're going to be at Cinnamon Creek. Then we go to Wisconsin, Lacrosse Archery, and then we roll into Denver, Colorado. That one's selling pretty fast, too. Uh, Aaron Snyder's going to be there as well as Dirk Durham. And then we move right into Vancouver, Washington. And that one, Joel Turner's coming back, and that's going to be exciting. So, yeah. Camps are going well. Podcast is a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoy our podcast. We put a lot of work into it. And uh, we just appreciate you guys, you know, coming along the journey of year-round preparation. We really believe that separation is in the preparation. Hopefully by now you got your application into Wyoming uh, and Arizona. New Mexico is open. Utah should be open. And so it's the season is happening. So Definitely want to do your homework and start figuring out where you might have a tag so you can start planning your fall. Guys that are listening, communicate to your spouse what you're thinking. Don't keep it a secret. I'm having to tell my wife about all my hunt plans and my intentions. It's not fun to tell her how much I want to be gone, but it's more important that I tell her now versus surprise her later. And I'm also planning some really cool trips for our family this summer because I know I need to put as much time with them as possible. So I want to give a couple shout outs to some companies that are really helping Elk Shape Camp this year. And I feel like, man, if I don't give them a shout out or props that uh, I'm doing them a disservice. But first, Justin Atkins, you are a listener of the Elk Shape Podcast. Your wife is so cool. She reached out to me and signed you up for Elk Shape Camp 9.0 in Vancouver, Washington. You are going, and she wanted it to be a surprise, and she wanted you to find out here. So uh, I think that's really cool. Justin, you're going to Elk Shape Camp. Your wife's super cool. We look forward to getting to know you way better and making you better. So congratulations. You are there. Phelps is totally stepping up. Everybody who comes to Elk Shape Camp gets a Phelps bugle tube and the Maverick diaphragm or the pink diaphragm, their choice. Thank you, Phelps. Vortex Optics is giving away a Razor 4000 rangefinder for every camp. We're going to give away one to whoever wins the award, Spirit of the Elk Shape Camp, which I think in itself should be pretty obvious. We're looking for whoever's the most humble, the most hungry athlete who just elevates their game and works the hardest. We want to reward your efforts. So that's been fun. Onyx Hunt has been giving everybody access to a Premier membership. And if they already have a Premier, we just add another state. EXO has an exclusive discount code that I can't share here for all the campers. Matthews is giving away a VXR to one lucky camper. We're having a raffle for that. Every camper is getting one Grim Reaper Hades Micro 3 Blade. That's what I use. I asked them for that. I said, I just want to be able to put one broadhead in everybody's hand and let them try it out for themselves. That's huge. Uh, AAE, who we're going to get to know Nick a little bit better today. We have some custom elk shape Max veins that we're going to be giving each camper probably enough to fletch three arrows and see for themselves. Baku e-bikes. These guys are literally giving away the mule bike. Uh, that's huge. That's a huge, huge, huge prize. So one lucky camper is going to walk away with that e-bike. I can't even tell you how awesome I'm. I'm so excited to be able to do that. I really appreciate those guys. And those are solid dudes. If you're in the market for an e-bike, I'm going to go ahead and give the discount code. 
away right now that we're only giving to campers. It's Elk Shape 400. I'm not putting it in the show notes, but if you want $400 off a backcountry e-bike, plug in Elk Shape 400 and get yourself the mule. That thing will go 40 miles easy on one charge. Maybe with the $400 savings, buy an extra battery. I like to roll with two. That's so huge. Man, Sika Gear is giving away three core lightweight hoodies at every camp. And I just kind of picked three athletes that I think deserve it. Climate, um, they provide us with, you know, I use their sleeping pads. They have a really nice sleeping bag, their tent, their shelters, that kind of stuff. They have a discount code exclusive for campers. I can't share that. I'm sorry. Uh, Hamski is giving away some rest and I'm going to go ahead and give away a couple Hamski rests for podcast listeners and YouTube subscribers and Instagram. So I plan on giving three Hamski rests away. We're going to do a giveaway for YouTube. We're going to do a giveaway for the podcast and a giveaway for Instagram. Looking forward to that. Tight spots getting at least one tight spot quiver to give away at each camp. Same with black gold. I'm giving away the verdict three pin. It's got third axis leveling. And I'm just so stoked on that. Lakewood is giving away the bow case for the whoever wins the VXR. And so you're going to be able to have that double bow case that I have. We're going to put a Matthews logo on it. You're going to be able to travel with your bow and your backup bow. And they're going to stay safe, whether it be airplane or the back of your truck. And they even bought a, a discount code. So if you are signing up for Elk Shape Camp, use the discount code LAKEWOOD50. Save $50 off registration. Off Grid Food Co. is giving me a bunch of goodies to give away at each camp. Crossover Symmetry is providing me with the gear to take to every camp to show people how to use Crossover Symmetry for their hips and shoulders and make everything bulletproof. Black Ovis is giving us a special exclusive discount code. And I'm going to be giving away some of their, their kill kits and game bags at every camp. And I can't, I mean, the list goes on. So everyone, thank you so much for your support. You've been so gracious to make Elk Shape Camp really vibrant and positive. And I just, uh, I'm super humbled and I, I don't, I have to pinch myself that I get to do Elk Shape for a living. I, I really just want to tell everybody, thank you so much. I've seen some people signing up for an online Elk Shape Camp, which is all video driven from every camp. There's almost a 70 videos now in that vault so if you can't make it to a live elk shape camp your your best bet is for 99 bucks to, to go into the back end and watch all our videos from all our camps for just 99 that gives you a year access a lot of information to digest there i've been seeing people sign up for 90 days to freedom the most affordable three-month program uh check that out it's all home gym driven you can take it to the global gym or to you know a functional fitness gym and get yourself in great shapes but please pump the brakes. Do not spend five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars on hunting training programs when you can get something that's as good, if not better, for sixty-nine bucks. I mean that. Save your money, buy more tags, put gas in your truck, do more scouting, take your wife out more time so you can go hunt in the fall. All right, guys, enough of the chit chat. Let's get in it with Nick Fisher. You're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. Separation is in the preparation. This isn't really an interview, man. This is a conversation that we just record and get to know you and hopefully learn some little. You got some good information to drop today on on several things, um, but. First and foremost, dude, you're a family man. You live in Arizona. I think you got a couple of kids. Give us a give us the most important stuff. Your family. What's what do you got going on there? So yeah, um, you know, I'm born and raised here in Arizona, right here in Prescott Valley, and you know, kind of what I tell everybody, it's horrible here. Yeah, with a lot of sarcasm in my voice. Yeah, um, but no, I've been married 15 years, and you know. 
family is number one over business over anything. Um, I've got two amazing little girls, uh, a 11 year old that I say is going on 30. She's crazy smart and gosh, just incredibly talented. And anybody who meets her just feels like literally they're, they're speaking to an adult. So she's <laughs> Morgan's just amazing. And then, uh, we have a 20 month old as well. Uh, another little girl, Remy Grace, and she's just a little firecracker, incredibly little, cute little baby. And she's super smart and she's going to be just like her big sis. So, yes. That, so no boys. Nope. Nope. You know, we actually thought this one would be a boy and we were certainly hoping for it. the Fisher name dies with me. Um, I don't know if we're, we haven't said no to trying to have another, but you know, these ones are 10 years apart. So at that rate, maybe we'll wait a few more years. I'm not sure. Dude, Life's yeah. pretty busy right now to try to throw another one in the middle of it again. Uh, you are crazy. So how old are you? Uh, I'll be 37 in a couple of weeks. Okay. So you're still a pup, right? I mean, you're not 40 yet. I'm 38. I uh, feel pretty good. I'm still not in my 20s, but I still feel pretty good. Don't you? Oh, yeah. How old are you? You're, you're 38, you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Well, you're doing quite well at that because I, when I met you face to face, I I felt you were right around thirty. So. Yeah. Thank you. I'll I'll pay you later for saying that. That is awesome. Uh, I feel thirty. You don't have the bald spots and gray hair that I have. Yeah, but I can't grow a beard. Can you? Oh yeah, I have a very full one right now. What's that like? I've always wanted to hunt with an awesome beard. Still can't do it. Age thirty-eight. So it's just your genetics, you know. Oh, and beard always comes down to genetics. And you have some people that grow what we call a summer beard, some over here, some over there. <laughs> um, no, I'm fortunate with that. I can grow a pretty good beard. And I pretty much all hunting season go with one more out of, I'm probably more out of just lack of even wanting to shave, complete laziness. And, you know, you get two or three days into a hunt and you've got a little scruff going there and it catches on every zipper you have. It's very annoying. Once it gets a little longer, it's not a problem. Well, well I can imagine. Um, so, yeah, just talking to you uh, at ATA, I actually, you know, hunt late. Mr. Zach got introduced us, but just talking to you for a few minutes, man, I was like, okay. I really like this guy. He's going to come on my podcast. You shared with me a pretty cool story, and I was like, we're going to definitely dive into that. You live in, honestly, one of my favorite places on the planet for elk hunting, but fortunately, Arizona is very stingy with their tags in a good way. And like probably, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I think some of the best managed elk across the West as far as just don't give away all your tags and have generous seasons. I don't like your late season rifle hunt. I feel like that's a little cheating, but, uh, it sounds like Arizona might be, you know, reducing some tag numbers this year. Have you heard that? Yeah, I, I would agree, you know, especially within the, the rifle world as technology has changed and the knowledge continues to grow on how to build a long range rifle setup. We've been shooting, long range rifles for oh over a decade now with incredible success and it, we've lo actually gotten to the point you know that in order to try to make the hunt a little more challenging you know we do push the distance a little more sometimes it depends on the animal and what you're hunting you know i mean you never want to put yourself in a situation where you could wound an animal but 
we truly have gotten to the point where anything under 500 yards is literally a chip shot. Wow. Um, when it comes to a rifle. And because of that, within the terrain in Arizona, on um, the mountains, the canyons that we have, you set up in a spot a lot of times and start doing some glassing. Quite often, if you can, if you can see it with the naked eye, you can shoot it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so certainly with a bigger bull, bigger bulls now, you can start picking them up out there be beyond a thousand yards over a mile. And at that point, you want to make an adjustment and get in closer, but. That entire situation has certainly increased the success rates in the late rifle hunts. So, no, I, I agree. They definitely need to peel back the tags. It's kind of a bummer as a resident, but we want to continue to see our herd grow. Because um, it just really the rifle hunts, unless you really want to be patient and always strive for a really mature animal like this last year, um, we were in a situation where uh thanksgiving day and opening day we had a very large snowstorm and then we had multiple tags across multiple units and the snowstorm really shut down a lot of our access um so we actually went in more on the okay we're just going to harvest some bulls um kind of looking more on the ragline stuff we're not going to necessarily be looking to take out the cream of the crop and we were able to actually harvest three bulls in about 90 seconds holy smokes yeah and one kind of funky i think he ended up being a seven by seven or a seven by eight but he wasn't even 300 inches really and then um one small rag and then my niece got her for first bull another small rag and they weren't you know it it was circumstantial given that the snow had kind of pushed a ton of elk into one box canyon and we were looking over over 250 head but again because we could reach the entire canyon we had perfect conditions um in this situation though we actually shot all three all three elk at under 400 yards Mm -hmm. yeah and then you know that you got three bulls to pack out (laughs) yeah yeah fortunately there was a road going up the bottom of the canyon so Although it was a lot of work and it did take all day, um, we only had to go about 500 yards per trip. The hard part was just being on the side of, of a cliff face, uh, not just a steep hill and very rocky and a foot of snow. And you couldn't see any of the holes. So oh, yeah. Within, you know, by the third third round trip, we had a pretty good trail going in that we felt was pretty safe at that point. And obviously, well, fell down numerous times up to that point. But after that, it wasn't too bad. You know, we were basically no elevation change except right at the end to drop to the bottom of the canyon so it was really more fun than anything and the being that all three bulls weren't really big bodied bulls um it wasn't horrible you know we kept most of the loads to 80 to 100 pounds just to be able to move quickly and not worry about actually getting hurt you kind of talked about in your bio that you were really passionate about taking youth hunting I have little ones. They're going to be not little for very long, as you know. Let's get into that a little bit. Like, how has that process worked out for you guys? What are some, like, best practices for taking youth hunting and and kind of go maybe even tell us a story? Because I'm really interested in getting my kids into hunting if they want to. Well, I, I guess first and foremost, being in Arizona, they've changed um the amount of tags that they make available and the, the uh, high quality, high success hunts 
that they've made available to to the youth hunters has really been beneficial. Um, you know, and Arizona Game and Fish has done this to promote the growth of hunting and continue our sport. And it really has made it really nice. You know, kids, um, anybody under the age of 18 youth hunting licenses are $5. Um, and that's up for a hunt and fish combo. Wow. So and of course they had to hand down some of that loss of income to uh, adult tech or adult licenses. So our prices went up a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, ten, twelve dollars really not a big deal. But then the hunts that they provide opportunities for with kids, I mean the draws are generally pretty high, unless you're my daughter, unfortunately. She oh. hasn't been drawn yet. Um, which has been tough for her because within all the kids, you know, we have our core family of four or five families that we've all hunted and camp together and pretty much are all just what we consider family together um, over the last 10, 12 years or more. So we've had a, an incredible amount of junior success because of that. Cause we have, I think our oldest one um, now, mind you, almost all of these are girls on top of it. So um, my hunting partner, he has three daughters um, than my daughter. And then within our circle of, of friends, um, you know, I think we ended up with eight, eight girls and two boys that are hunting currently. So, and they go from 20 years old now all the way down to um, one of our youngest boys, his, Adam's youngest boy, my hunting partner. Um, he's seven and he, so he'll be going on one of his first hunts this year. So um, as actually as a hunter. That is, I'm sure you're stoked for that. Yeah, but you know, the whole process again, because it's all rifle hunting for the most part, by the time the, the kids are 13 or 14, they're finally big enough to start drawing a bow to 35 or 40 pounds, but they're, you know, the success rates are really low. So we really try to focus on these rifle hunts. Okay. Um, so we have a really high draw, it's cow hunt in multiple units, but it's at a nice time of the year. It's in early October. So the weather's perfect. It's a great time to take the kids out. Um, and then at the same time, within the same two week span, they have, um, multiple different options for junior deer tags. And again, it's a time of year that the, here in Arizona, the deer are still a couple months away from the rut. So they're really just in summer feeding patterns and that are into getting into early fall there. So they're, they're pretty easy to, to pattern. And we're fortunate having been here our whole lives. We we've got some really good spots that we reserve just for those hunts. Where do you start them at? Like what's a good caliber, all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, if you want to, you get into the caliber talk, I'm a firm believer in really just three calibers and there's a lot of options out there, you know, but basically for our big guns, we either run 270 short mags or 300 rum. Okay. Um, those are the two main hunting calibers that we use for big game, you know, and you can get into tons of arguments about calibers. And I know like the six, five crowd is growing and now there's multiple calibers that get into that world, whether PRC, you know, 6.5 SOM, obviously the Creedmoor's popularity has grown. Um, unfortunately, very few of them will still outshoot a uh, 6.5 284 Lapua, which is kind of the originator of that bullet. So, um, you know, but the big thing is just taking the time and you put in the time into building a rifle that you trust in. And Sometimes you can get lucky with a factory rifle, you know, that will shoot. But we put a tremendous amount of time and money into building our rifles that 
virtually anybody behind them, it's point and click, you know, mm-hmm. as long as they can get comfortable with the rifle. And yes, these are big calibers, but our rifles are not light. Um, our average rifle weights run in between, we'll say 17 pounds on average. Um, and the reason for that is we want a gun that when you get prone behind, you're not afraid of it hitting you, hitting a kid. You know, you don't want them getting scoped. And when you're pushing 90, 92 grains of powder behind a rum, the recoil can be substantial. Now, we run really big muzzle brakes. So, honestly, we compare how our guns recoil to that of a 243. Wow. Um, yeah. Really big muzzle brakes, big heavy barrels. The guns are not, they're not your six pound ultralights that a lot of people talk about or they want a, a carbon fiber barrel we're running number seven number eight tapers um 30 plus inch barrel lengths so and the whole purpose behind this is to have a 500 yard tack driver thousand yard tack driver um i want one i don't have one man what am i running my wife bought me so you're gonna have to laugh at me a little i'm not much of a rifle guy okay like i've shot one elk with a rifle it was a 308 that I don't even have anymore. And what do I have? My wife bought me a factory, a Savage 6.5, 284. And I don't know, man. I'm not very good with it. Honestly, it doesn't shoot as good as I thought I would as far as attack driver goes. Like, I'm not confident out to five. Uh, my dad annoys the hell out of me. He takes his little 30 out six and he doesn't even have a turret made for it. He's got just like a little these little bubbles or what, whatever you rifle guys call those things. Yep. He's got mill dots and he can hit, he can hit iron at, out to whatever five, 600 yards. No problem. And it's annoying. So I am looking at building a gun. Maybe we should take a break from elk shape archery and, and break down my costs, what I should get. And this is all your opinion. And I trust that you've been doing this a long time. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be straight up honest. I'm not a fan of savages. There's people out there who like them. And if, and when it comes to that, you know, choose the action you want to choose. That's up to you. Um, I try to stay with most of the action designs that are built around a Remington 700 design. There's a ton of different actions, but purchase an action that you're comfortable with. Um, you know, you want to stay with one that there's a lot of components for. But really, if you're going to look at building a gun, you got to kind of ask yourself, how much do I want to spend and what am I looking for for an effective range? Um, Our rifles, we literally buy an action. I want a large magnum action or a short action, you know, whether you're looking at like a a lot of the world is trying to push into building these rounds that fit into a short action rifle, whether, you know, like a 270 short mag. I believe the 6.5 Creedmoor is on a short action as well. and the 65284, it might be on a long action. I don't remember. But you got to ch- just choose an action that you trust. Again, I stay with the stuff that's based on Remington 700 because part availability, um, the components are very common and all the aftermarket stuff is very proven, you know. So pick a caliber at that point. You know, you got to kind of decide on a caliber. The 65284 is a great caliber. Um, I would shoot anything out to a thousand plus yards with that without question in mm-hmm. you know in north america um then from there you know if you're going to stay with a factory stock or purchase an aftermarket stock um graybo builds a great stock 
There's a numerous other options out there. I've actually helped, we helped produce the original molds for the Graybo stocks. And I'm very, very impressed so far with the quality of those. Um, you know, and then you really want to start working with a gunsmith. You can purchase all your parts or a gunsmith might be able to get you better pricing on parts, but you need to get that action. You need to get a, a barrel chosen, a barrel length and have a gunsmith um, create that barrel caliber for you. And then they'll go in and chamber, do the chamber work for you so that the quality is really high. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and from there, then they'll bet the action, um, bet the barrel into the, your stock. And that's all really critical. And then you want to pick a good trigger. Um, really, nobody really builds a factory trigger that's worth a darn. I can attest to that. I do not like that Savage trigger. It is heavy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we live and die by jewel triggers for the most part. And okay. they're not cheap. They're 250 bucks a piece. But when you can set a trigger at three, four, five ounces, even lower, Adam had his at two ounces at one point in time. And it was literally a challenge just to feel the trigger before the shot would go off. It was so light. I, it actually, I would say it gave me a form of target pin. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. But I, I prefer a trigger somewhere around eight ounces personally. Um, it's still exceptionally light, but you can at least lay your finger on it. You don't have to be worried about a misfire. Um, and really there's very few triggers out there that will achieve that. You'll hear people talking about a one pound, pound and a half, 16, 18, 20 ounces. And those are good. But when you're really wanting to make precise shots at long range, you want a trigger that you don't hardly have to think about executing the shot so that you're not applying any undue forces to the rifle at all. You really, you're trying to build a rifle that will just sit on a bipod in a prone position. And when you touch the trigger, you barely have to apply any pressure. So you're not moving the gun at all. Mm -hmm. That's really key. A lot of people don't realize kind of like torque and archery that, you know, when you start, if you have to start squeezing on a trigger and you're actually having to start squeezing, you could potentially move the rifle or torque the rifle in some manner. That makes sense to me. So a high quality trigger is really important. Um, and then certainly a muzzle brake, you know, you, you don't want to be afraid of the recoil or having, um, you know, subconscious issues with the potential recoil, particularly if you're, if you're going to plan on having kids shoot the gun, go with a really good muzzle brake. Um, I'm a big fan of the Terminator series of muzzle brakes They're Again, they're not cheap, you know, kind of when you look at building a really long range, really accurate tack driver rifle you kind of need to set your price i'm going to start at five thousand dollars um for the whole project and you can build a factory rifle for less and they'll be quite often they can be pretty good five six hundred yards but when you want to start pushing past that 600 yard mark um you start looking at building a custom rifle again yeah i think my application would be predominantly predator hunting wolf specifically in north idaho where you know i don't think a thousand yards is i mean there's some options out there but that's not i think more like four and five hundred yard shots i'd like to be like chip shot language i liked that dialogue and then obviously i can take the first kid out with that gun so i kind of like that 270 short mag conversation Oh, the 270 short mag's amazing. And there's there's a new round out now that Nosler is just releasing called the, uh, I think they're called 27 Nosler is what they're calling it. And it's even hotter than the 270 short mag. And what they're doing with the 150 grain Acubon long range, um, that round is going to be super exciting. We're going to be looking at building one very soon. Mm -hmm. But for now, the, two, the 270 short mag is just a great all around cartridge. 
Um, you know, great bullet options, whether you run a burger or a nozzler, those are kind of our two go-to bullet manufacturers, um, the good old AccuBond, or um, we've had great luck with the, the burger hybrids and the burger hunting series in the 140 and 150 grain options. Okay. You know, and once you get to those longer barrels, you're going to be, you're going to be able to push 33, 3,400 feet per second, um, which is just absolutely screaming on a bullet that size out of that, that caliber. Um, you know, we do get more out of our runs, which is why we go that option. Cause with a two, right now out of my run with a, a 29 inch barrel, it's finished with a break at 31 inches. Um, I'm pushing a 210 burger just under 3,300 feet per second. Wow. That's and it's that tank at 1,200 yards. The, the energy it's still carrying is unbelievable. But What do you put on top of that rifle, man? Because I, I'm a Vortex guy. I just like that. I just love the people at Vortex. They have some pretty wide options for your budget. I would be more apt to probably go all in on the best of the best like their razor hd uh they have a new one out amg that's pretty dang expensive but what are you running for um uh, a scope on your setups i am running the the gen 2 razor okay which i just absolutely love that scope um the turret the way the turret system functions is phenomenal optical clarity is amazing um the zero stop i obviously is uh, functions of wonderfully once it's set up that scope's just amazing and again it is a heavy scope but i when we're building these rifles um weight is not a concern we actually we only use everly stock packs for our rifle hunts because of their built-in scabbard there's no better system out there for hauling a heavy a heavy rifle i highly recommend acquiring one of those packs there's everybody there's a lot of other pack options out there in the world but when it comes to carrying a heavy a heavy rifle their scabbard system is two steps above anything else i know i know uh is, is yours the 56 oh the 56 yeah it's what is it uh four and a half to 27 by 56 yeah yeah that one i've looked at that one before i don't have that one yet but that's kind of what i was looking at yeah okay. you know and that scope is very expensive the the pst gen 2 is half the price and 90 percent as good of a scope okay you are kind of like the, this day and age of technology and archery. When you start getting into those upper upper costs of bows and trying to improve technology, it costs a whole lot to make a, a small improvement. So even, you know, the, the PST Gen 2, I would put that on any rifle. Um, and it's probably Vortex's overall number one selling scope too. Probably. They probably sell a ton of Vipers in their three to $500 range, $600 range as well. But for a high quality scope, if you don't want to step into that twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars, the that PST Gen two is an awesome choice. And then, do you have them build your turret, or you do it yourself? Like, how does that work? We don't do custom turrets, especially if you start hunting enough where you realize uh, temperature changes, elevation changes, and all of that. Your turret becomes pointless. Okay. We actually just use what an app on our phones called Shooter. Um, it is an app you have to purchase, but you go through the prompts and set up your rifle based on that app. And then it's constantly updating to the weather to, you know, you can Bluetooth, uh, a wind gauge to it, you know, a Kestrel wind gauge to it, you know, because when you start shooting a thousand yards and you just see the difference between 
say five o'clock and the sun sets at five thirty, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got that last 10, 15 minutes of shooting light and the temperature dropped 25 degrees. And all of a sudden you need to add, you know, two or three clicks to it. Your turret's not going to tell you that you won't know that you'll think, Oh, I'm at 750 yards. I should be good to go. Well, if you just had to add a uh, half a minute of angle to it, you know, that's four or five inches of impact point change, which on an elk might not be a big deal, but on a, a, a smaller gamed animal, that can be a major issue. So, you know, we just stay with standard turrets. We run mi- everything off minute of angle so that, you know, you bring up that app. Okay. I know I'm shooting 800 yards. I need to come up 13 minutes of angle. And I was set up, my dad and I were set up on an elk that he shot right at 800 yards a couple of years ago. And from the peak of the day, we were at 12.75 minutes of angle. And when we actually finally got our opportunity on that bull, um, we ended up at 13 and a half just because of the temperature change. Mm, that's significant. That's great information. Wow. Yeah. Well, and that's at that distance, that's uh, six to seven inches of impact difference. Oh, I completely agree. Well, dude, let's switch gears to my favorite archery. I know that you are a target archer. And let me just say this. I always, I always creep on target archers over successful bow hunters because I feel like I always am trying to tinker with my setups to get it conducive for target archery as much as possible within reason because those guys got it figured out. So let's just get into your background with target archery and, and are you competing at Vegas here shortly? Absolutely. I have shot Vegas every year for 20 years now. Wow. I think this will be approximately my 20th, 19th or 20th year, maybe 19. I'll be First year I was 18, so yeah, 37. Um, my birthday is generally right around Vegas, and back then Vegas used to be towards the end of February. So I believe when I turned 18, it may have been the same weekend. Wow. Getting up there and the number of events I've attended there. So yeah, obviously the business that I'm born into, Arizona Archery Enterprises, AAE, um, you know, we're the world's largest knock and vein manufacturer. Uh, next year will be our 50th year. Uh, in business as AAE. So target archery is a big love of mine. Obviously, bow hunting is still my number one, but uh, target archery is what makes us vastly better bow hunters from Mm -hmm. obviously just constantly practicing and putting yourselves in those environments. But when you get into the crazy extents of tuning that we can bring ourselves into, it, it just completely changes how a broadhead tipped arrow can perform so yeah i get i get really really overly involved into tuning my hunting bows like a target bow and probably even more i i spent last year tuning my hunting bow shooting bear shafts at 50 yards which i found out i'm a pretty good shot but i'm maybe not quite good enough to put myself through that mental anguish wow i've never heard of that that is uh yeah i don't qualify uh one thing I like to t- ask target archers is what release do you use and is it the same release that you use while hunting? Well, and I think a lot of t- target archers quite often they'll tell you the same. I have bounced around a ton from releases. Um, I shot hinges for years. Um, I've shot a thumb release for a lot of years, which eventually I got to the point where I cannot touch a thumb release. It will create target panic 
in for me in a heartbeat i will crush the release body and never make the release fire um what i actually now i've settled on and this is kind of where i originally learned how to to execute a shot properly so currently from a target form i use the uh knock on silverback which is a no kidding yep and you know that's an adjusted version of the carter evolution Mm -hmm. and i have yet to bring that into my hunting setup yet i may be looking at it for this next year but hunting i use uh a release that carter doesn't even make anymore called the rx2 uh, specifically because the jaw opens on the exact same side as the evolution. So my facial face, face clearance and everything is exactly the same. So and that, that jaw actually opens kind of the opposite of a lot of your thumb releases, the opposite side of a hinge, but it helps keep the string a little bit farther away from my face. But then with the RX two, I still grip it like I do a, a silverback. So my middle finger is actually on the trigger four fingers over the left side of the body being a right-handed shooter. And I execute pretty much exactly the same way. There's, I never a thought about shooting or squeezing. I, I keep the trigger set a little bit on the heavy side. Basically, I mean, it's the RX two is a wrist strap, you know, style release. So, you, you know what they would call a trigger release, but I still grip it the same way. So it actually goes between my first and second finger and my middle finger is on the trigger side my my forefinger is on the left side of the body so i'm still gripping it just like i would the the silverback oh that makes sense that is actually cool i i'm gonna have to have you send me a picture of both those just for visual but that makes sense i shoot uh, i primarily shoot a knock to it uh or a two simple they're two and three finger but for hunting purposes i primarily hunt with a scott xt um and I'm actually working – I just got done working with Joel Turner a little bit on his system a little. But I like uh, I like a lot of his dialogue that he brings to the table. But either way, I shoot – one thing I definitely do is I mix up my releases quite a bit uh, just because I like to keep myself honest, if you will. Um, and I'm constantly filming myself shoot just to make sure. But I, I don't know, man. I think here's what I'm, my bottom line is. I'm not a target archer, and I feel like every once in a while you gotta punch the trigger in a hunting scenario, and you gotta be able to do that. I've hunted with handhelds before in the past where I just needed to punch, and I couldn't make it happen, and I kind of squandered opportunities. That's that kind of sounds weird, but I think you understand what I'm saying. No, and that's what I was saying. Um, part of the reason why I still use the RX2 is so I do have that option in a hunting scenario. Um, not that you ever want to have to punch the trigger, but it is actually part of the reason why I don't even shoot target archery with that type of tr- release anymore so that I don't have that habit potentially get into my, my hunting or my, my target shooting, which is great. What's great about the silverback because it's just a straight back tension pressure release. I mean, it's, there is a method to potentially punch it, but it, you really don't even think about it you know you just execute and it but it makes the other release go off really fast and this last year the deer i shot this last year i actually did have to punch it um crazy situation with my hunting partner and i we uh had a big thunderstorm come blowing up the mountain as we're set up wait ambushing this herd of bucks and literally at 
the exact moment they they entered into the drainage that they they were feeding into every day this huge storm came up with 50 to 60 mile an hour winds and um just lightning like crazy and the bucks kind of scattered but because this wind was of literally i shot my buck at 45 yards in about a 50 mile an hour crosswind oh yeah Uh, and a lot of people wouldn't take that shot but because my time spent as a target archer and especially shooting feta Mm -hmm. which you know if you see some of the videos from feta shoots we're doing we're shooting in crazy stuff sometimes um you're holding five feet off the target and, and as long as it's not unsafe everybody's dealing with the same environment so you keep shooting so at least we have a ton of experience within that situation but yeah that buck i actually was holding i came to full draw on him at 45 yards and the wind promptly blew my bow into the oak brush i was posted up against i had to come back out of the oak brush and i just let the took a guess a very educated guess on where to hold and kind of did a little bit of a drive-by when I was about 18 inches in front of the buck's chest, I just hammered it. Mm-hmm. And I still ended up hitting about a foot back. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that arrow drifted over three feet. But Jeez. I felt very confident in between the broadhead setup. It was going to be a very fatal shot. And he went 30 yards and, and he was done. And he was done. That's cool. And, you know, let's talk about broadheads because – it's a fun conversation to have and then you know what's coming right like i'm gonna ask you the aae stealth primarily i want to get nerded out on those veins i want to compare and contrast those to what i've used historically which is boning uh blazers i want to also talk about levi morgan's tack veins i'm sure you're aware of all these bottom line is i want to know what the best you know the best fletching on the back of my arrow that's going to be the quietest and not alert those animals. And it's going to get me the best groups with a big fat broadhead on the end because I'm a huge fixed broadhead guy. Well, yeah, we'll just start at the type of the arrow because that can really decide what you're doing when it comes to veins. Um, now, I'm a hybrid guy, and I helped uh, a gentleman named Dale Perry bring the Gravedigger broadhead to the United States when he first created it. Um, mm-hmm. We started manufacturing the ferals for him here, and I really worked with him on the design of the broadhead. Uh, you know, just bringing it to a more high quality product from his original design. And with that came a, a hybrid style broadhead that just flies amazing and absolutely is devastating. And I love the fact that it is, and it really Dale's broadhead was the first one that had a fixed blade up front and then a me- mechanical in the rear. And mm-hmm. ever since then he, he sold that, uh, product line to Plano Synergy and then he we re- redeveloped the head a little bit and brought it out as the Evolution Outdoors product line um, and I still just absolutely love that head and we've adjusted it a little bit now it is a three quarter inch fixed up front with a very um, 60,000 thick 1.5 millimeter thick front blade so it's incredibly strong front blade and then a two inch deploying mechanical on the back that runs on a compression pin system so it's very repeatable doesn't will not open in flight but it opens very consistently and very fast so the chisel tip is going to get you through the hide and then you have basically a two blade it's not a chisel tip it's not it's a, a three-quarter tip. inch fixed blade oh, okay okay and that that head now is called the jekyll and hide because the one thing that it'll do and you'll really like this 
Um, yes, it's so we got a three quarter inch fixed on the front, two inch mechanical on the back. So you have that guaranteed cut on the front. It helps punch through bone because it's a really thick blade. Uh, on the chisel tip where you, it kind of works more on breaking bones if you're pushing through bone. This is a very sharp but stout front blade, so it still cuts, um, which is way more efficient on penetration. Okay. And then you have that guaranteed big cut on the back that just you know provides those quick kills. And on the plus side, when you make a, a a shot that maybe most people wouldn't feel comfortable with, like the deer I shot this year, um, that big big two inch wound channel regardless of where you hit most animals it's quite effective probably slows them down so let me ask you this on the this broadhead on elk how many elk have you shot with it and how many pass-throughs have you gotten i personally have shot only two elk with it um because again in arizona it's hard to get drawn for and i haven't haven't made the time to get out of state much um with all the different hunts that we're always involved with but within the group of guys that have tested it i would imagine in the last two years since we developed Evolution Outdoors, if you go all the way back since the inception of Gravedigger, gosh, we've probably killed over 50 elk that I know of uh, and hundreds of more, I'm sure, across the entire fan base. Pass-through wise, I've never shot an animal that the arrow didn't use. Wow. Whether it was a deer, whether it was an elk. Now, um, I do shoot a, a stout bow. I shoot a, a PSE, so we're talking a fast setup and whether it was, you know, I've gone through numerous different bows over the years, but currently I'm shooting a PSE Expedite. With a, a, uh, I'm actually using a Target Arrow, an Easton Pro Comp, which is essentially a, a form of an ECC. But uh, Easton Pro Comp with a hundred custom 180 grain head on the, on the front. Um, so I'm running 200 grains, a total point weight. Arrow finishes at 500 grains. And out of my expedite, it's running 308 feet per second. Oh, my gosh. So what's the grain options on those broadheads? 100, 125, and 150. And then we're working on uh, creating a 180 grain option with another component system company. But that is yet to come fully to fruition. But that is the prototype that I run. Wow. For most guys on any standard arrows, you know, I'm a big believer with today's technology and bows of running a heavier arrow overall you know and you get into the front of center conversations where you have guys running crazy 20 25 percent i like the 15 to 17 percent window you know yeah and i'm a 13 to 15 but i can't argue man i preach heavy arrows at elk shape camps and we have a pretty convincing argument to most of these campers and they start to see the light i mean it's just about kinetic energy and foot pounds and physics and it is and to Today's technology and bows, I mean, they're all fast. Now, they're still fa faster than fast in a lot of them. Within, you know, the Expedite's uh, probably still one of the hottest bows out there, which combined with the ECS cam system now, it's incredible to shoot with the performance you get. I was going to say, let's talk back of the arrow because this is where your expertise is going to come in. I've generally run an FMJ or an Eastern Axis match grade, uh, depending on the bow I'm shooting. And I've been kind of running axes lately just because I do shoot a Matthews. I don't think they're the fastest bow, but they stay in tune. That's what I tell people that ask me, well, why did you switch to Hoyt? I just tell them, hey, man, this Matthews stays in tune. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But my point is I'm running a micro Hades three blade from 
uh, Grim Reaper, and it's got a chisel tip, and it's got very sharp three blades that really don't move like some other, you know, blades that you can replace on certain broadheads. These don't move. They have a really good solid ferrule system and a great collar. It's it's a great broadhead, and it's sharp, and I shoot always shoot a sharp broadhead, but I, I want to know, like I tried uh, Bonin's heat veins on them, and I put it on YouTube, and a bunch of smart people on YouTube are like, oh, you're going to have issues with steering that broadhead past 50, and I'm like, whatever. And within a couple weeks, I was scraping those off the back of my arrow <laughs> right away. And uh, I should warn you, Nick, I do just spit it the truth. I don't try to hide anything. So that's – I took those off right away. Sorry, Boning. Uh, what do you recommend on your guys' veins, helical, offset, straight? Do you do clocking on your arrows? Like how nerdy do you want to get into this? But I I want to dive deep if we can. I, I don't know if you'll find anybody more nerdy when it comes to vein setups and, and tuning broadheads. Yeah. Um, so – Really, we'll just go from the top down. I I firmly believe, and and nobody has been able to prove differently. The Max Stealth is still the ultimate broadhead vein, um, the greatest all around option. It's still the basically in the larger vein option to steer a fixed blade or or a, a hybrid. Um, it's the best option when it comes to sound. Uh, it will steer with anything. It's probably better than most in the wind because it is stiff. There are Levi's tack veins are a little bit stiffer, but they're also a little louder, and that comes down to shape. I've done a tremendous amount of testing on veins. Um, when I created the Max Stealth, I actually eleven different vein styles, a couple shapes nobody's ever seen. Obviously, our Max Hunters, the um, a Blazer, Pro, our Pro Max. I had a couple different cuts and shapes that I just created on my own and cut out on our laser. And across seven different options, the Max Stealth won or tied every single time. Um, sound, groupage, steerage, I consider those two different things. Um, grouping as far as how it actually performs, a broadhead performs with your fixed or with your field point and steerage as to just how well the vein actually keeps the broadheads together. Because I have situations with certain broadheads where a Max Stealth would keep all the broadheads together but the broadheads themselves wouldn't tune to the field point obviously sound wind drift total drag because you can actually get better performance out of a four inch vein but at a hundred yards i i was seeing 18 inches of impact difference vertically between a max stealth and a four inch vein, just from the extreme level of drag created from a four inch vein. i'm not a four inch guy you know uh, i don't want a lot of weight on the back honestly yeah yeah and it's old technology anymore nobody runs four inch veins unless you're shooting you know a recurve or traditional style stuff and those guys will even get into five inch veins right and that you know i can get into a, a whole nother conversation that i'm still learning and evolving since we created the trad vein on on the positives of of that but uh now the max stealth is still the ultimate again it's our max material though so you got to go through the proper fletching procedures because that material type requires specific fletching procedures to adhere um and you see that levi's tack veins are a, a similar material as well and he has specific fletching procedures you have to follow for that and that's where we created the hybrid vein so we took our our elite material that we call a lick and stick um pretty much created the same exact rib feature step base base dynamics that we have in the max line of veins 
and created the hybrid with the elite material. So now you don't have those fletching procedures. You can use virtually any glue and you get a lot of the flight characteristics of the Max, but it's not that upper level of material that in the improvements that you do get with the Max vanes. So really when it comes down to it, I'm going to recommend that that vein 80% of the time. If you're strictly a mechanical guy, my go-to is actually our hybrid 23 and a four fletch. Okay. Um, lower profile, less wind drift. Uh, it's still extremely quiet because it's a parabolic. Parabolics still are the quietest you're going to create. Anytime you get a short high profile vein or something with a sharp tip on it, even a little point, that point's going to make noise. Okay. It's just the simple aerodynamics, simple physics. Um, the more slower slower rake of a parabolic nice rounded tip all of that just promotes itself to being quiet so how long is that max stealth vein is it three inches or two and change two and three quarter i like the that length for my arizona easy fletch the the standard because you can kind of make that helical and you could make them almost touch kind of covering and really maximize that is that what you run um, so I use a Bitsenberger, um, you know, although the Arizona easy fletch is really popular, I actually feel it applies too much helical. Okay. Um, too much offset. Uh, it certainly is great for shorter ranges and getting an arrow to spin really fast. And if, you know, if you're shooting sub 50 yards, most of the time, it's a great option because it gets that arrow on axis really fast. But the problem is it creates a tremendous amount of drag. Okay. A properly tuned bow does not need that much helical. Unless you're shooting a really poorly designed broadhead, um, you know, there's a, we all know the ones out there that you cannot screw on and shoot. Mm -hmm. You know, your bow, you think your bow's shooting fairly well and you put it on at 40 yards and you can't even hit an 18 inch block with it. So, you know, those broadheads, if those are your type, all you can do is just put six veins on and hang on for the ride. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, we're, we're on the discussion here of shooting quality broadheads on a tuned bow. Well, then, so let's say I do have a Blitzenberg. I also have uh, Boning's new little Fletcher they came out with. Uh, I forget the name of it, but whatever. doesn't matter to me. It's Yeah, it's pretty hip. It's pretty hip. But I still think at the end of the day, the reason I used an Arizona Easy Fletch was because I'm doing three veins at a time. You know, you're building arrows in bulk. It's it's pretty fast. But I would take the time to use my Blitzenberger uh, if you would tell me what you think the best practices are for the helical or is it just a three-degree offset? What, where's the sweet spot for – obviously, my bow is going to be super tuned. I'm going to be shooting a pretty micro broadhead with a pretty heavy arrow. And I want to be able to shoot 100 yards bullseyes from my deck before hunting season. Not that I'm going to be shooting animals that long, but I want that confidence. That's kind of just – my protocol right so with with the bits and burger with you know again we're just a, on the discussion of a hybrid uh broadhead such as i shoot or a fixed you know a bits and burger doesn't necessarily give you a, a one degree or two degree offset um basically what i set mine at because they're old technology basically what you would call an eighth inch offset is what bits and burger describes it as but it's probably around one and a half to two degrees of offset Okay. Um, with the helical clamp. Now, a lot of the issues that people have with these, and this is where when you're, you got to be a little creative on your own. Um, I actually take my bits and burger and a die grinder, and with a new when I'm setting up a new clamp, I lay a bare shaft in there, get it set up the way I would want, and then I set that clamp on there and 
once you kind of set to the offset that you think you're going to want to use, get your clamp on there laid against your shaft and you start looking along that clamp and you're going to see a bunch of spots where it is the clamp is touching and a bunch of spots where it's not. So I take my die grinder and my goal is to make both both sides of the clamp touch the shaft all the way down. Um, and that's really important in just making sure that you get proper adhesion. So I go down with my with my die grinder and I take all the high spots off until both sides of the clamp touch the vein or touch the shaft up until the point that I no longer want it touching. You know, that clamp particular will still hold a five or six inch even vein or feather. So I'm not fletching anything that long. So I will cut the end of the clamp off or grind it out of the way so that there's no way that I, the, that far reaches of the clamp is even touching the shaft. And then I've just ensured that within about a three inch window, um, I'm getting 100% contact on the clamp to the shaft, and that makes sure that I get nice even pressure on the vein. And I, th I think that's really important, no matter whose veins you're fletching, whether it's a, a something like the hybrid or an elite material vein that sticks in five seconds, or something that's a, a high performance material like the Max or Levi's Tax that you've got to um, really make sure you've got really good contact going on so that you really ensure good adhesion. So from there, you know, again, in that one to two degree range of offset with helical, and that's my sweet spot. If you go too much, you start getting more offset, more of some of the extreme helicals at 100 yards. And a quick test will show you how much increased drag you're creating. And you're going to see whether you start getting a, a parachute effect going on or just the drag is so extreme, your impact point is way lower. You're slowing the arrow way down. You're losing kinetic energy. And if your your setup's tuned right, you don't need that much excess. You know, again, that's why I say with a mechanical, I actually rec recommend less vein because if you don't need it, don't use it. Right. Because um, that's the one thing veins are doing is slowing the arrow down. That that control is drag. And you know, if don't waste it. So. Okay, so I've always ran. I should say two things, and I'll let you speak on both as far as your area of expertise. Number one, FMJs, the aluminum, they're a pain in the ass to put veins on until I found or discovered the AAE primer pin. What the hell do you guys put in that thing? Because that is like the only way to guarantee veins are going to stay on. Well, certainly, I mean, it was, I'll be just straight up and honest. Um, everybody with a high performance material, we all use about the same we all we do not produce it ourselves. It is purchased from another manufacturer who specializes in, in creating such products. And there's numerous ones out there, and it's all the same. Okay, uh, I I shouldn't say that because that's not. That makes me want to buy from you. All the better. I appreciate that. Okay, because you could you could go buy Levi's or you could go buy one from East End, and it's all the same. If you're in a pinch, of course, I want you to buy my product, but I just like to be honest because people get in a bind sometimes. Okay. Um. Every one of the primer pins you out, see out there is the same. What's actually in it? I don't know. <laughs> we we tried to figure it out, but we couldn't. I know it's an acetone base. Right. There's, you can tell it's an acetone base by the smell. There's a lot of products out there that need it. It does not get used on our hybrid or elite or trad or wave veins. Just as a note, you do not need it on any of those products from us. Only our max vein. 
copy that. So then my next question is is I've always ran I've always ran standard Easton Knox in Idaho. Idaho doesn't let me use lighted Knox still to this day, which blows my mind. So I generally run a Knox Turner strobe just because I love seeing where my arrow went while I shot. It's think it's like actually more ethical, but that's besides the point. So in Idaho, I always have to you know run standard Knox. Do you have any recommendations uh, to up? Like, I want the best of the best. I want absolutely, I want to geek out. Do you have any advice for that that component? Easton's always made an incredible knock, and uh, I'm very, very versed in those knocks as we've produced them for Easton for 30 years. Um, however, we did bring out our own line of knocks in the, in the last two years called the IP series of knocks. Um, and part if you're running an access shaft, you would want the IP five. And what we did is we took everything we know about knocks and we put it into one design, uh, single snap features, uh, pretty universal throat fit, throat fits, a discrepancy you can get depending on bow manufacturers. You get a lot of people say, oh, that knocks too tight on my, on my serving. And that's another topic I'll get, could get into forever on serving diameters. More issues I have with the industry with nobody will keep one specific serving diameter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get some manufacturers that have a 115 to 116 serving diameters. I've, I have other manufacturers that go all the way down to 105,000. Um, we build ours kind of on the average. All our throats are built to a 112 diameter. Um, myself with that 112 diameter, I prefer a serving, a finished serving diameter in 108 to 110 thousandths. I, I like a nice, not a loose fit, but you don't want it to be tight. You want to be able to basically rotate your string within that knock and not have it have it spin and be stuck because that, that creates knock tension and knock pinch. Um, but certainly our new IP line of knocks, um, it is everything we know about a knock and they're extremely durable. The IP4, which goes into your micro diameter shafts, it is the strongest small diameter knockout there. All of our our throat to body to shank concentration. Wow, I'm blown away. Well, I know we're going deep here. I can't let this podcast go by without th what we talked about in person. So give us the straight up, like you said, you're a garage gym bandit, which I love. So am I. Love training in my garage gym. You're very disciplined. You work out at home. It's a huge time saver. It requires a ton of discipline. You wake up early and do it, um, but you didn't used to. So can you just finish this podcast with the all-inspiring story of Colorado? Well, yeah. I mean, just a quick background. I've always been a, a, a garage bandit guy. I bought the gym I have. I first started buying components for it back in 2003, and it's just evolved. But I've never been a really healthy person. Smoked since I was I was a smoker. And I've always I drank a fair amount. So in 2015, we finally went on our first Colorado backcountry hunt, you know, getting up there in high elevations back. And even though I had really stepped up my gym time and gotten what at the time, when we got up there, just trying to pack into camp at nine, 10,000 feet, although I was strong, I had no lungs and no endurance. I could literally go 200 yards and have to stop. And that was brutal to me. I, literally from base camp before we even packed out, it took me five minutes to locate three different herds of bulls. Um, again, we're talking Colorado, you know, August 3rd, 29th, 30th. They're not quite getting into the rut yet. The bulls are still kind of bachelored up. And every herd of elk that we found was up around 11,000 feet. That 
that attempt to try to get to that elevation was a complete failure for me. I'll be honest. Uh, and I could not hike myself from 8,500 to 11,5 without fearing I wouldn't be able to get the animal, a harvested animal, ethically back off the mountain. I could get myself there. That was fine with a day pack or whatever. But I was a great level of fear that I would not be able to bring a 100, 120 pound pack off the mountain. You know, and then with an elk with only a couple of guys, you know, you've got a couple of trips that are involved in that. So because of that, we ended up hunting at lower elevations and we did see elk. But knowing the area that we were constantly seeing this elk and that I physically could not go there was just an extreme slap in the face for somebody who was an experienced hunter. But coming from Arizona, we do most of our elk hunting between six and eight thousand feet. And it was just a whole other world breaking that 8,000 foot barrier. So I, that really pushed me to start pushing myself hard in, in the gym at home and knowing that I really needed to quit smoking. So in 2017, when uh, my wife got pregnant with our second child, we both said, all right, this is it. We're done smoking. And we both quit together in late 2017. And I, I backed off on my drinking tremendously. Um, and the evolution that it has occurred within me physically was just crazy within the first 90 days, even though I was still working out hard for those, that year and a half from that hunt up until, um, we were pregnant, I fought putting on muscle working out three, four days a week and to put on five pounds of muscle would take six months. And in 90 days, I added 20 pounds of muscle. It, it was crazy how, and I wasn't even a heavy smoker. Um, you know, a half of what would be considered a half a pack a day, not very heavy. And I, my body, it was just those toxins going into my body would not let me build muscle. Yeah, it was just unbelievable how quickly my body responded. And with that, then I got more endurance and started putting even more time into the gym. And it just opened up my ability to hunt to a whole new level and how much I could pack out. And with that, our success rates seemed to went up, go up as well. You know, we could get into hunting spots faster. I could keep up. I wasn't holding people back. I could always carry heavy stuff, but I was always slow. And now we were able to, to go in deeper into holes and put ourselves in situations, you know, where we could shoot three bull up in 90 seconds, not worry about getting them out. Mm -hmm. You can became limitless. Uh, that is such an inspiring story, and I know, man, anybody out there can appreciate somebody making such a prolific decision to extend their longevity and the quality of life and overcome, you know, something like that. That's huge. The last thing I want to ask you is, like, dude, what do your home gym workouts look like? Like, what did you do today just to give us an idea of kind of style of training you're doing? Well... I'm kind of back this up real quick, just to a, a quick w where I'm at with my workouts now, because uh, the second half of, of 2019, my wife and I did a program called 75 Hard. If you're not familiar with it, Google it real quick. Andy Frisella, one of the owners of First Form, um, he's an incredible motivational, inspirational guy. And he put out this program called 75 Hard. And what it was, was two workouts a day, 45 minutes each, one in the gym, one outside. Most of the time your outside stuff is cardio. Uh, and you had to drink a gallon of water. You had to maintain a diet with zero cheat meals. I'm a keto guy. I've been a keto guy for since 20, early 2017. 
Yeah. So that wasn't a big deal. But then you also had to read and you had to take a progress. But the whole program, I stress to people, you should try it. The entire Live Hard program, it is certainly you gain a, a huge physical change. And the physical change was awesome for me. But the mental the mental change and the mental challenge that it becomes because anybody can say, Oh, I can do it for 30 days. We actually failed on day eight because we forgot to take a progress pic. I'm not really a selfie guy. And some people that might be the easiest thing in the world is to remember to take a picture of yourself. But for me, <laughs> I don't like pictures of myself, much less taking them of myself. So yeah, we actually failed on day eight the, the first time around. And uh, my wife had actually done the program before on her own on her own a couple months earlier and made it to day 42 and failed on the progress pick. So I, I really stress everybody should try that program because there's just things you don't realize that you're doing to your body every day, not drinking enough water. No doubt. Um, Andy is the, he's the MFCO podcast guy, right? Correct. Yeah. So I would recommend that podcast. If you don't mind the F bombs, they're going to be about one every five seconds but the the content is super legit and he brings on some pretty cool guests and he's as transparent as they come so if you like that vibe check it out i'm going to leave a link to as much of the things we talked about when it comes to veins and all that stuff for products and broadheads that we talked about i'm going to leave a link to that program for those that want to try it this our podcast is not about just pushing elk shape it's pushing like best practices and and this sounds like a great opportunity for those that are ready to step up their game. It's 75 days. Yep. Dang. 75 hours, 75 days. Dang. And it's a life changer, man. Mentally, it's a life changer. I mean, obviously, there's extreme physical benefits, but mentally, it's a life changer. The, the confidence you will have in yourself when you, you complete that program, it, it's otherworldly. You're building some serious discipline, and you're working towards some delayed gratification, all these things like that get me excited. So that's huge. Nick Fisher, AAE, coming on today, talking long-range, talking target archery, technical archery, talking fitness. Man, this has been one of my favorite podcasts. I don't say that very often. This has been awesome. Um, where can people learn more about you? I, I imagine you're not much of a social media guy, but uh, maybe more about your family and your family's business. So certainly uh, from the business side, you know, we're very uh, prevalent on Facebook and Inst Instagram, AAE archery on instagram and then uh arizona archery on facebook you know myself i do have a facebook and instagram accounts so i'm not super active i'm what you would call a social media stalker i i'm on it every day but i don't post much about myself i do post our, our hunting successes and, and the successes of my children so just nick fisher on facebook and uh Nick Fisher in Fisher 88 on Instagram. I don't remember that account. It's been around so long. I forget what my handle is. Um, but yeah, look me up certainly on Instagram. Give me a follow or whatever, but I don't post a ton, but I'm always active on there in one form or another. So uh, yeah, check those out. And then of course our, our company website, www.arizonarchery.com. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Hold the line guys. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. This is the Elk Shape Podcast. We'll